When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. This episode of the Birdshot Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. On this episode of the show, we're talking with Sonny Pecars of Hay Creek Kennels. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 226. Welcome back to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Thank you for joining us, everybody. We're talking bird dogs today, mixing in some listener Q&A with Sonny Pecars coming up shortly. But I do want to thank Patreon patrons of the show. Those of you out there making voluntary contributions to the podcast, keeping these great conversations coming your way. Thank you for that. Those patrons are eligible for some discounts and bonus content when that is available. Patreon exclusive giveaways, which right now includes a full access pass to the wing shooting instruction video series from keith coyle and we set everybody up with some birdshot podcast can coolers and stickers as a little thank you as well you can learn more and sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot all right everybody else leave a rating review subscribe to the show follow the show whatever you can do in the podcast app or player you're listening to little things that just take a moment and are also very helpful to the birdshot podcast so thank you for that as well all right i want to mention Something from our friends at Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. When you are listening to this, we may be nearing the end of National Pollinator Week. That runs June 19th through the 25th. But hopefully, you'll still have time to take advantage of this opportunity. If you are not a member of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, or you want to gift a membership, or just take part in this really cool project because it's just plain fun, if you sign up for either organization, $35 membership, $75 donation while supplies last you will get your 
native plant habitat project kit. I did this a couple years ago. I live in the city. We have some nice green space around us, despite the fact that there are an abundance of introduced slash invasive species around here. But with that in mind, I have been focusing on native plants and vegetation and doing what I can to improve my little piece of the natural world. And I had a perfect spot right alongside the Birdshot Podcast studio to set up a pollinator garden with the native plant kit that I got from Fez Forever and Quill Forever. So they'll send you a variety of plant species that flower and bloom at various times throughout the season, providing resources and food for insects that would ultimately support upland birds and a whole host of other species. Now, there aren't much for upland birds around my property, although I have had a few grouse here over the years, but that's not really the point. It has been a fun little backyard science experiment for the boys and I. Like I said, we planted everything a couple years ago. They've been growing ever since last year was the first full season with the plants, and they have done extremely well. They've added a ton of color to the yard. We've got our Pheasants Forever Pollinator Habitat Project sign up in the garden, and maybe my favorite piece of the native garden would be the butterfly milkweed, which I just checked yesterday with the boys and confirmed we have a bunch of the black, white, and yellow monarch butterfly caterpillars on there munching away. So just wanted to mention that here. It's a really cool opportunity, supporting a great cause with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, and a fun little backyard science experiment. Add some variety to the backyard and plant some native wildflowers, because healthy pollinator habitat is great bird habitat. The same plants that bees and butterflies rely on are the same insect-producing forbs and flowers that help upland bird broods thrive. Head over to Pheasants and Quail Forever and get your Pollinator Habitat Project Kit while supplies last. All right, today we are talking with Sonny Picars of Hague Creek Kennels. Sonny is a dog trainer, hunting guide, and he, along with Jordan Wells and George Lyle, have been developing their own system of bird dog training called The Method, and we're going to learn a little bit more about it on today's show. As you'll soon find out, Sonny's been training and handling bird dogs for decades, and he's got a lot of knowledge and experience to share, which is why I put out a request for questions specific to early bird dog development, first year kind of stuff. We got some great questions, and we covered those with Sonny, as well as his background and the method dog training system. So let's welcome into the conversation and onto the Birdshot podcast, Sonny Picard. Thanks for taking some time out of your busy day, Sonny. How are things at Hay Creek Kennels? Doing good. Hay Creek Kennel is is thriving today. Nice, cool weather. Yeah, it has been has been kind of cool. Well, w- with that in mind, where are you located, Sonny? We'll have you put us on the map for folks. Gilman, Wisconsin, twelve miles straight north of Thorpe off Highway 29. Not too far from some good grouse country, I imagine, as well. No, we've got uh, yeah, we've got some real good grouse country here. No doubt about that. Excellent. Did you uh, you hear drumming from the property? I don't I don't know your setup. I haven't been down there yet, but I'm I'm hopefully we'll uh, we'll come down and pay you a visit here this summer. But do you hear any drumming this spring? You get out in the woods much? Yeah, no, absolutely. We've got uh, we've got a handful of birds that we can hear drumming from uh, different different directions from the kennel every morning and every night. Awesome, awesome. So, what do you what do you find yourself doing most days? Are you training Are you training dogs for Sunny P cars? You training dogs for other folks? Tell us a little bit about what keeps you busy on a daily basis down at the kennel. 
Yeah, we train uh, we train anything and everything. So we've got um, we've got dogs in here. You know, might be a Shih Tzu for obedience, um, right up to you know maybe some English pointers for my guide string uh, for the fall. Um, so anything and everything. Would you say that you because I've I've have associated you mainly with pointing dogs, but when you say anything and everything that, that would bring to mind flushing dogs, retrievers, that sort of thing, you get, you get into everything a little bit. Yes. And every, every dog doesn't matter. The breed all starts with the same program. Um, so it's, yeah, we use the same program every single dog that comes through here. Um, obviously the, the pointing breeds will go one direction once we get them far enough along and the retrievers will go a little bit different direction once they're far enough along. But but the basis is uh, the same for every single dog and every single breed. Got it. Yeah, and the the those foundations can are sort of universally applicable, and that will probably apply to a lot of what we're going to talk about today. So I'm looking forward to that. But first, I, I got to learn a little bit more about you, Sonny. I've I've heard you on Travis's podcast and and heard your name now and again. But I would love to hear a little bit of background and story on how you got into bird dogs and upland hunting and all the stuff that we love. Sure. Uh, you know, I'm no different than anybody else. Uh, as a, as a young adult or even a kid got the first dog, um, stumbled through that dog, got just enough done based on, you know, what I learned from grabbing from this and, and grabbing from that just enough to be dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, from there, you know, a lot of tropping through the grouse woods, a lot of, a lot of cattail sloughs, a lot of ponds, rivers, creeks around here. <clears throat> and then the, wanting to learn how to train the dogs better, you know, from there advanced to that, that pointing dog um, and was striving for more knowledge and, and just wanting to know how to do it better. Just constantly striving for a better relationship with the animal and uh, how to master the technique with whatever that technique was at the time. Yeah. So I'm gathering you grew up in, in that area in Wisconsin. So you grew up a, a grouse hunter and, and hunting the birds around here. Is that correct? Yeah, right. Yes, absolutely. Grew up, uh, grew up right here and spent my whole childhood, uh, in, in the, in the clear cuts here and then up and down the rivers and the creeks with, with the labs and then advancing, you know, to a short hair and the grouse woods and, and, uh, yeah, hauling a dog and a shotgun pretty much everywhere we went. Love it. I love it. That's cool. I, I have, uh, with my bird dogs, really, I've, I've gotten to travel around a bit and hunt some different birds in different areas and I'm gaining appreciation for other landscapes. But, uh, like you, I grew up in the Northwoods and it will always have a, and I, I really never strayed too far. I lived in the twin cities for a little while, but then moved back to Duluth and I've been here and I'm pretty happy. So give me my two bird dogs in the grouse woods and we don't need much else. Yeah. You, you've got some nice cool weather there too. Yeah. Yeah. It, it has been, uh, has been nice. It's been really, really dry. I, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I've, you know, we went from having a lot of snow, everything melted real fast, it was wet, and but generally it's been nice and warm and dry, and, and my thoughts are always on how are the brooding conditions for, for the grouse, and I feel like pretty good, but now we're almost, the pendulum is swinging so far, it's so dry, I'm starting to wonder about, you know, fruit-bearing shrubs and insects and that kind of thing. Yeah, no, we're absolutely in a drought here, I would say. Um so yeah, we'll we'll find out here come come August what we've got to, what right. we've got for birds. Right. What was that first bird dog that you got that you mentioned? Oh, the first one was a was a black lab, uh, and then from there um, stumbled into um, some short hairs, and then pursued the short hairs for quite a while, um, and then from there ended up with my first English pointer, 
And then from that point, I've been well, pretty much from my own personal dog, nothing but English pointers ever since. English pointers and a few uh, English cockers we keep around here. Okay. Well, you mentioned you were younger when you got that dog, but you did refer to kind of learning and, and going after information. What, you know, obviously the landscape has changed now. Now we have things like YouTube and podcasts and, and all the books and magazines that we've always had. But what, where do you recall going to get your training information way back when? Yeah, way back then was just anything we could get our hands on, you know, anything we could read, um, whatever magazine you would grab, <clears throat> try yeah. to find something about a dog, um, you know, and just, just did as much research as we could. But, to you know, the truth of the matter, 99% of it was just trial and error. Just just get out there and do it, try it, figure out what, what doesn't work and, and try harder. Yeah. Um, that's been most of it, just stumbling around, learning as we go. Yeah, there's really really no replacement for that real world experience, and like you said, applying the things that you can pick up from other venues. I mean, now it's it's reversed in that now we have too much information. You know, it's the challenge is really distilling it and trying to figure out what to focus on. I think, and there's always a there's always something new to listen to, watch, read, and and that can be a challenge all on its own right. I think. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think that. I think the dog world and just the, for sure, the upland world, I think it's in a great big transition right now. Um, in my opinion, the young people are coming out of the woodwork to purchase dogs. There's a ton of young people that are getting back into it. And then, of course, um, you know, times have changed. So then we need to roll with the punches and, and change with it. So I do think that we're in a real big, uh, just a real big movement, a real big transition of, of what our future is going to look like. You know, um, there's a lot of information and you have to weed through it to figure out what's going to work for you. Yep. And it, you know, it's certainly my hope that doing this podcast and talking to you and, and hopefully eventually chatting with, with George and Jordan, whose names may come up uh, in the show today, um, just to obviously raise awareness to what you guys are trying to do. And the nice thing about us having so many options, and I say us as in me being an amateur bird dog handler, you can kind of, you, you got to do some vetting, obviously, but you can, you can move towards a, a method and or a, a group of people that that jives with you right like not we don't not everybody's going to get along with everybody or not everybody's style is going to appeal with each trainer and handler so we do have that is one of the benefits with all of the information out there is you can kind of uh, move towards wh- whichever method and system and, and people sort of appeal to you yeah the, some of the best information i got with that was uh, from and i've talked about this before quoted it before but but alan dunbar um with you know starting with the end in mind uh really really do some soul searching about what you want on the other end and then just execute it just start it early and then work towards that yeah um with that you can take there's a lot of all the programs are going to work for the most part they're all good programs um it's just you know personality traits and then the caliber or the breed of the dog, maybe it can fluctuate a little bit, but most of the programs out there will, will work for almost anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, it, we're, most of us typically are striving towards similar end results, but it's, it's a matter of which path do we take to get there. Sure. So let's fast forward a little bit to today and, and talk about the method in the dog training. And, and I'll just kind of let you sort of tell us about the method, sort of where it came from, what the, not necessarily the opportunity, but what you thought was missing and or what needed to change that, that really inspired the development of the method between you and George and Jordan. 
Sure. So I don't, I don't know that we've got it figured out yet. Um, I, I wish I could say we've, we've got it mastered, but I don't know that maybe we ever will. It's a constant progression of trying to do it better. Yeah. Um, but what it really came back down to was, was trying to meet the people where the people are at and, and help them, help them help their dogs. So typically uh, what I've experienced, at least today with a lot of, a lot of the, the people that I'm working with in the formats that I was using, um, we got going too fast. Um, we assumed that everybody understood things like puppy developments, um, and we would breeze over that kind of stuff. And then with breezing over it, the people didn't get it. So they would go home and try to apply what, whatever it was they were learning. And then of course, a lot of it didn't work due to missing some of the early development type stuff. So when me and Jordan first come up with this concept and it wasn't something that we just, you know, sat down and says, Hey, we're going to build this. It was, it came about through just numerous conversations with trying to, uh, well, talk each other off the ledge, you know, um, working through our own frustration with mm-hmm. our clients and, and trying to bounce ideas off one another on, you know, will this work and will this work and try this. And, um, so from there, that's where this thing was kind of born. Um, and then really trying to apply some of the stuff that we were talking about with some of the people and then seeing that it sure enough had, it had some very positive effects and uh, really what it came down to was just trying to help the people better understand the animal try to see things through the through the dog's eyes so we were we were almost kind of the translator from the dog to the human um, and it really started to click and it really started to work yeah that that's certainly in listening to some of the other episodes you did uh, that was the thing that that really appealed because i think that's i mean that's just it right like we have a tendency to apply our thinking, you know, whether you just want to say anthropomorphize or we, we think, we think like humans cause we are humans and we want to apply that thinking to everything in the world. And that's not always the correct way to do it. And that's really what you and Jordan have been stressing sort of how does the dog view things and, and let's get into the dog mindset. And that's, that's what really appealed to me, I think right at the outset. Yeah. And then the, um, the, the byproduct of that has been just the, and I, I hate to talk about stuff moving fast because then people assume, well, this is going to happen really fast. So this is going to be a quick program, but, but the byproduct of our thought process and what we've been uh, applying has been the dogs are like on steroids to learn Um, getting rid of a lot of the force and, and getting rid of a lot of the training that we've done in the past and get more into a mindset of teaching and mentoring where the dogs just eat it up. They love it. So of course their mind is that much open for instruction. So they learn that much faster and then they retain that much better. I mean, it's just been, it's been mind blowing um, what they can learn in the amount of time that we can present things to them. And I don't even know that we've scratched the surface yet on what they really are capable of. I mean, I, I think that just the sky is the limit on, on what, what they're, they're able to do. Well, t- to try to, build a little bit more context around it. The, as you pointed out, it, you didn't just sit down one day and just come up with this from scratch. It was sort of derived from other methods. And, and as we also hit on, you know, the variation among dog training methods, you know, the, a lot of the core concepts apply across no matter what the name of the system is. But I, I think I, I recall you mentioning that, that you were uh, utilizer of the Smith method quite a bit. And that definitely played a role in the development of this. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. This, the whole thing, uh, I would say that, uh, the, the Rick Smith silent command system has inspired, you know, this, this whole program. Um, and I think Rick had commented on maybe with one of Jordan's seminars that it's, it's, it's very similar, 
uh, info content. It's just that Jordan uh, at that time took it way deeper, like really, really got into the just in, got really deep, like got into the depth of it, the nuts and bolts and really understanding the mental side of that dog. And uh, I think that's where we're kind of going today. And that's where we've got it today. Yeah. Going back to one thing that you said, which was starting with the end in mind, I wonder if we could continue to shape this setup a little bit and have you describe what that end result is. You know, what do you what do you view as the end result when it comes to a bird dog? And if we have to get specific and say a, a pointing dog for upland hunting, um, what are some of the things that come to mind if you are picturing the end result? Uh, the end result for me is is a is a good citizen. Um, I've come to terms with, if it's not a good citizen, he's no good at nothing else. So mm. it's an animal does not matter the breed that's open for instruction, that is open for instruction and that has a good turn on and turn off switch. So there's not a lot of nervous energy. Um, there's not a lot of excitement. They're very calm. They're very collected right up until, uh, it's game on. And that could be, you know, retrieving ducks from a pond that could be South Texas quail and everything in between. That, that's a that's a real big deal for me. It's just that uh, a very calm, collected, um, eager, but yet under control, ready to execute the the mission when the when the mission presents itself. Yeah, that is uh, something that I have come to appreciate very much. And I know you don't know me that well, Sonny, but I'll I'll just share what little background I I can just to facilitate this conversation. But I'm I've been running bird dogs for 10 years. I've been grouse hunting my whole life pretty much, but I didn't get my first bird dog until about 10 years ago. So I've got two English setters now and, uh, the listeners will know this story well, well, if they've listened for a long time, but I, my first bird dog, you know, I'm like any first bird dog owner have really no idea what I'm doing. And, and I've learned a lot in the last 10 years, but one of the biggest things that I noticed from dog one to dog two is that my first dog, he, he has, definitely some of that sort of nervous energy and excitability in him that I believe in, I pretty much entirely put into him just not knowing I was excited to have my first bird dog. And I just, I kind of overlooked or at least, or just didn't even realize the influence that you can have on the dog's composure like that. And he's, he's generally what I would describe as a pretty good, you know, we just went for our run and he's curled up in a ball here next to me. You know, he's a, he's a good boy and, and I love my bird dogs, but I, I made it a, a big point to focus on creating a, a calm, composed dog with my second one. And one of the things I asked myself, because she is very much more a, of a calm, composed dog in a general sense, but I, I wonder how much variation there is from dog to dog, you know, how much is just innate and then how it's that nature versus nurture. And you could speak to that a lot better than I can. It, I think it's obvious that we certainly all have the ability to influence any dog as being more calm, but are, are some dogs just out of the box, more calm than others? I mean, how does that work? Yeah, no, I, I believe they are. Uh, they all have their own individual personality. And then the, the human or the trainer, um, we need to be able to identify what that personality is and then give them what it is they're needing. And they're all, they're all different, you know, as far as their maturity level. Um, you know, I, I prefer myself. I prefer males. Um, they tend to be a little more of a hammer. Um, they're doers. They're not necessarily thinkers. You know, they're, they're uh, you know, yes, sir, can I have another kind of an attitude? They don't get offended. Um, you can make mistakes and they don't, you know, they don't hold a grudge to where some of those, uh, you know, some of the smaller females can be 
but they can outthink you. So they can be they can be harder to work because they they are they are thinkers. They're they're very aware of their surroundings. They're paying close attention. So if you do make some mistakes on those dogs, they're you know they might not be uh, quite as forgiving. So it's it's all based on their personality, and then being able to uh, to bring to them what it is they need at the time. Yeah, that's funny you comment because I I also I have a male. My first one was a male, and then my second one was a is a female, and again, I, I definitely, I clearly see some differences between the two. And I assume that, that perhaps some of those are just due to one being a male and the other being a female. But I also wonder, you know, it's also just a small sample size, one dog versus another dog. But, um, yeah, I'm definitely smiling, thinking about my, my younger one. She's a, she's a female. And I, I would say that she's a little bit, uh, kind of a, a more of a clever thinker, uh, definitely a different dog than, than my good old buddy Hartley, my first yeah. male. <laughs> sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and yeah, maybe that worked out for that. I originally wanted a few, I think a lot of people sort of default to wanting female bird dogs, or at least that's what I've, what I've heard from, from a lot of breeders. It tends to be a, people are interested in that. And I was on the list for one, but the, there wasn't a female pup available. And, um, after talking to the breeder of my dog, Jerry Coulter of Northwoods bird dogs, we, uh, we decided on, on taking that male and it was, it was a great decision. He's, uh, he's been a good dog, but yeah, probably a little bit more forgiving of some of my blunders in those first few years. Sure, Absolutely. So well, let's just continue that thread a bit because I think, you know, this idea of a calm composed dog, I think you know, we say that and yeah, sure. That sounds nice, but that has nothing to do with, with birds and, and hunting. That might be somebody's first reaction, but I think it could be easily overlooked on how important that is. So talk a little bit more about how that translates to the field. How, how is a composed, uh, calm dog going to perform better in the field than one that is just, it's an afterthought as far as how he's behaving on the tailgate. Yeah. So, you know, I, me personally, I would back that all the way up to a baby. Um, so we're working the baby puppies, uh, probably just as much as we're working, say a six or seven month old puppy. So we're, I'm not the guy that's going to leave them in the kennel and go, you know, pull them out at four or five, six month old, and then expect to get stuff done with them. So we're, we're doing a lot with our baby puppies. I mean, we're doing a ton with baby puppies, um, to keep their mind open for instruction, mm. you know, the, that, that, uh, that learning mindset. So that's, that's kind of where some of the coursework comes in. Um, but there's a lot going on there and then a lot of puppy development. Um, you know, probably in my opinion, within the top three things that are missed today, uh, with all of our bird dog guys, it's their, their puppy development has been missed. Um, and it's, it's a lot of that is due to, you know, don't have places to go, don't have access to birds. There's a, there's a huge population of our dogs that are not being you know raised out here in the country. So they're, they're missing some of that opportunity. Um, which I, you know, it's not the end of the world. You can get it caught up. Right. Um, but showing them early on what's expected out of them and giving them opportunity to experience and learn, I think is huge. Um, and then getting closer to that finished product. Once the foundation work is done, um, you don't have to get as deep in that dog's head to be able to, uh, you know, give commands or communicate on handling or, or being steady, recalling, whatever it might be. So then that finished product can put way more attention and way more focus on the job at hand, which is to find the bird. Um, so you get just a, you get kind of tunnel vision, you know, real focused, uh, to be lethal with going to where the birds are. There's, there's a lot of dogs that run around, 
Um, boy, if you can get one that, then if you've had one, you know what I will be talking about, but that knows how to go to the birds. I mean, you, you cut them loose and they're going to point you birds. Um, that's that X factor that is, you know, genetics is probably the, the bigger piece of it. But if you can nurture and mentor that, um, boy, you're going to have a phenomenal animal on the other end. Yeah, indeed. So what I'm gathering is that we're stressing the importance of early puppy development. And, and I know, again, going back to when I was bringing home my first eight week old puppy, you know, you have all these visions in your head because you haven't been through it before of, of dog train, you know, training a bird dog. And, and I read a bunch of books and thought I was prepared. And I guess I was about as prepared as I could have been without having any real world experience. But you're not necessarily going out the next day into the training field with a bunch of launchers and a bag of pigeons to do formal exercises like that. But there's a lot that we can be doing with very young dogs to sort of set the stage. Is that correct? Yeah, 100%. You know, their, their mother doesn't ever back off of them. Um, her, her sole purpose in life, if, if they were to be left together is to make sure that they are assets to, to the pack or assets to society. So, we, we just we put a lot of energy into uh, into keeping their mind open and keeping them keeping them thinking forward uh, problem solving mindset you know Jordan's words it keeps keep a lot of stimuli just a lot of uh, accomplishment a lot of tasks a lot of things that are challenging uh, and then of course they just kind of get programmed to uh, to learn so my goal if I'm going to spend time with any of the dogs out here at my kennel. Uh, when I come, I have something that I want to show you. I have something that I want to teach you. So I try to get them into a routine of any time that they're going to be with me, we're going to go do something. They're going to learn something. So then they just, they get into this mindset of, hey, we're going to do something. What is it? So they get this this tunnel vision or this focus to try to figure out what that is. Uh, when they're there, they're very, very easy to teach. Yeah, I love that. And I, and I think there, there's a lot of simple ways, which again, going back to, this is one of those things that you can overlook because it doesn't sound like it's very specific training, but there's so many opportunities throughout the day to train, whether it's going in and out of the kennel, in and out of the door, all of those things. And, and they're easy to forget. You know, I've heard these a hundred times before. And uh, when I listened to your interview with, with the three of you guys, I was reminded of where I was cutting some corners, you know, time goes by and, and you regress and you start cutting corners. And I'm kind of, we're going from a, a run with my dogs every day and I'm just letting, I'm opening the kennel door and just letting them come out. And they weren't jumping off the, off the edge of the truck, but they were coming out and kind of bouncing around on their feet. So I heard that and just had to look in the mirror and say, you know what, I I don't need to be cutting that corner. I need to get the dog's attention and focus back on me. So over the last week or so, I've been, you know, slowly closing that kennel door, making them stay in there and wait. And and just like you guys say, you know, my my older one, he's he's kind of more set in his ways, but he will he will follow that structure. But my younger one, the female she's thinking and she's like now I, when I open that kennel door she won't even move she's just sitting there looking at me much much easier than than the older one Hartley and those are just those little opportunities are some of the things that I pick out because those are things we can all do but they do take a little bit of conscious thought as you're going through your everyday life sure and our you know our, our human nature is to just relax yeah um we it's very easy for us to to slack off um and then of course they're learning um, no matter what they're doing, that was something. And I don't remember who said it, but boy, it stuck with me. And it, it was, uh, the, the line was, you know, they're learning 24 seven and you're the one doing the teaching. So you might just as well teach them something good. Yeah. And that, uh, that really, that really did stick with me. So, 
and then with you know with that being said they're so much more content and they're so much happier uh that's one of the big things that we really do drive home with our clientele and i do believe that's where we make the switch for them is that uh and i don't want to i don't want to talk down on as far as the affection and the, the human relationship with the animal but when you do get some of that structure and some of those boundaries established you really do have a happier dog um they're so much more content so um, I know that I've seen it just with our clientele that their relationships have have changed with their own dogs because they're giving the dogs what the dogs need, and that's just that little bit of structure and that little bit of boundaries. But it it does take uh, it takes some discipline and it takes some commitment to stay consistent. Yep, indeed. Yeah, like and like you said, it's it's easy to it's impressive the dog's ability to if you do slack off, they will they'll pick up that slack in a hurry. You know, they'll they'll cut any yeah. corner you let them. Absolutely. It's their, it's in their nature to, uh, to survive. You know, that's just part of their, I think it's me personally, I believe it's just part of their, it's part of their makeup. If, if you're not going to lead, they're going to, and it doesn't make them bad. It's just, if you're not good enough, uh, they need to assume that position. And then a lot of these young dogs, what I feel happens to them is they end up with a false sense of responsibility. They don't have the mind. They're not mature enough to deal with that kind of, uh, that, that task of, you know, controlling. And then of course there's all kinds of behaviors, you know, anxiety, um, fear-based behaviors, uh, they start due to somebody's not there to help instruct them and, and keep them on the right track and mentor them just like what the pack or their mother would be doing for them as a puppy. Yeah, that's uh, very well said. I, and I feel like if you, once you, whether you've got your first bird dog now or wherever you're at, you, you've probably realized that, or you will realize that very soon because it's, it's pretty evident. Well, I've, I've, I've got some questions here and we're going to get to those. I asked listeners to send in questions that really focused on that early first year development. So we'll get to those. Uh, obviously I, I could, I could ask you questions all day about my dogs, but we'll, we'll let the listeners chime in. I do want to, one more thing here. What are some of those what are some things that you're working on with, let's say, an 8- to 12-week puppy, just because it's that time of year and a lot of people have young pups, that you'd be working on to sort of build that focus and attention on you, the handler, and then that calm, composed demeanor? Sure. Um, so restriction, dealing with restriction is probably, I'm going to say that's probably the number one thing. Um, being restricted to a crate or a tie-out, just dealing with being restricted, to accept that they're going to be restricted. That would be probably the most important for me. And then uh, uh, second is going to be, because they do not understand English, we have to start to build points of contact and how we move and how we touch in order to be able to communicate to them. So then from there, it's uh, it's a real simple, simple concept of uh, put them on a lead and first thing, work on just being still, physically and mentally still. And uh, second thing is go with me. Um, if we can get to the point where they're still and they're going with, and it doesn't matter, uh, we'll take eight, nine-week-old puppies from that point going forward. Then we start to challenge uh, our point of contact or our follow me. So then we just we, we create small tasks for them to accomplish. Could be hopping on a caranda bed, you know, something very simple, just, just mm. real, real basic. Um, and then what happens is it keeps their mind open for instruction. So a little bit of that every day um, will make a major difference. But then, of course, that can get out of balance if there's not enough free run. So um, I, 
I'm pretty confident that had that's a big part of what's missing today is things do get out of balance. We get too wrapped up into formal training. We get too wrapped up into a sit, stay, come, heal program, mm-hmm. and they don't get enough opportunity to be cut loose and run. You know, the old story of, boy, my dog runs all the time at the dog park, or yeah, I cut my, loose, I cut my dog loose every single day at the golf course. And then we wonder why that we have this very visual dog that, uh, you know, does nothing but chase killdeer from one end of my field to the other uh, because it spent its, you know, its early development on the golf course chasing killdeer. Yeah. So putting them in situations with that back to that starting with the end in mind, you know, if you if you want a grouse dog, well, you, you need to get out in the woods and walk them, um, show them what they're what they're going to be up against at a, at a later at a later date, expose them to all those things. Um, we do a lot with uh you know, on the truck, off the truck, take them to town, uh, take them to the hardware store, move, follow up the deck, down the deck. You know, a lot of that stuff is to me is very, very important. And then, uh, when we are done with whatever it is we're doing, if, even if the, even if the workout might be five, 10 minutes, we put them back in that, that confined spot, whether it be on a tile or a crate so that they can process what it is that they learned. Um, we're not going to do a bunch of fun bumpers or something after a workout. We're going to try to get them put away so that they can settle, they can relax, they can calm down, they can get that turn, that turn off switch engaged and then process what it is they, they learned. They will repeat the last thing they did. So, um, which we try to not necessarily end on a real positive note. I don't know that that's overly important, but whatever it is we did do that they have some time to be able to just sit idle and process what happened. Got it. Gearing up for your next hunt? Check out Ugly Dog Hunting Company for all your dog supply needs. Ugly Dog Hunting carries a full line of products for your bird dog and even some for you. Whether you're looking for dog collars, GPS tracking devices, kennels, beds, leads, training equipment, or first aid supplies, Ugly Dog Hunting carries it and a whole lot more. New owner of the company and friend of the Bird Shop podcast, Mike Nadusky, loves to remind me that while I do hunt with pretty dogs, every dog can be an ugly dog. Check out the entire selection of gear for you and your bird dog at UglyDogHunting.com. For many upland hunters, along with their passion for dogs, birds, and the places we chase them, comes a passion for shotguns. Upland Gun Company specializes in customizing shotguns for the upland bird hunter imported from Italy and shipped direct to an FFL near you. Select from one of their side-by-side or over-under shotgun platforms and customize the fit, function, and aesthetics to your liking. Design and build your next upland hunting shotgun with Upland Gun Company today. Visit uplandguncompany.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I do think you let off there with the restriction piece, whether it's a tie out or a uh, crate. I think, you know, I've obviously seen the benefits in my dogs in doing that, but I, it's also so, somewhat of a metaphor for, or just a very visual way to see exactly what you're talking about, where you give a little bit of a structure to the dog, whether you're putting them in a crate or on a tie out and their first reaction may not be very, very positive to it. You know, they might try to get out of the crate. They might whine, they might be tugging at the end of that tie out stake. But if you leave them there long enough, 
you will eventually see that dog's whole demeanor and and mindset change, and that's really um, kind of a, in a very simple way, kind of what you're talking about as a whole here. Is that correct? You, you nailed it. That's um, if their mind is hung up in resisting, whining, crying, scratching, pulling, it, they're impossible to teach. Yeah, they're, they're, that's, you can't teach. But as soon as their mind goes to that more submissive, and I don't want to talk, you know, submissive being beat up. It's not about being beat up. It's about accepting the fact that I'm restricted. Yeah. Well, now their mind is like a sponge. So now it's time to teach. And the tie-out, you know, I, we, we uh, probably don't talk as much about a tie-out today as what we would have yesterday. Because yesterday, um, and I still do, I work off tie-outs. Um, and I still am a big believer in tie-outs. But I do understand that times are changing. So people might not like the tie-out. But the tie-out also starts that point of contact on that neck mm-hmm. so that we can put a lead on them and be able to work with them because they're already accustomed to the point of contact because they've gone through it themselves by resisting that, uh, the tie out with, uh, you know, with their collar moving against it. So they've learned to give the pressure. Yep. Yeah. And teaching the dog, well, your, your hands off, you know, you don't have to really even be involved in that process, which I think plays in as well. Um, the, the other thing that was real, it became evident when I got dog number two, or just things were a lot easier with first dog, you know, you go, you take him to take him to go for a run and he gets out of the truck right away. And he gets to go, you know, he's like my, my first child, he gets to do everything. and doesn't have to wait for anything. Well, I, you can, in hindsight, you can kind of see what that leads to in a dog that, that really doesn't like to wait in the truck or, uh, doesn't, doesn't like to, or isn't as patient. And so then when I got my second dog, I was very intentional about really just allowing dog number one to continue to go about his routine, but she learned to wait and to be patient. And she wasn't always the first dog to go for a hunt and all of that stuff. It, it was very easy to do, but it all played into her being a, a more calm and composed dog. So those are just little things that I've kind of learned over the years and adding a second dog. And, um, a lot of that stuff, you just don't know until you know it, I guess, honey. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right. Well, let's, let's get into questions. So, uh, I did, put out a little request for folks to send in questions about uh, first year development and kind of younger dog type questions. And I'll lead off with this question. Should you expect or demand any steadiness from an 11 month old pup in its first season, or just let him run and work on steady later? He put some more information in, but I'll let you take a stab at that one. So, Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a loaded question. Um, so first off, it's going to be based on the maturity level of that 11 month old. Mm. And then for me, it's going to be based on his efficiency. Okay. So is he efficient at going to the birds, which means, you know, really is he efficient? So when I cut him loose, is he, is he running around and stumbling into birds or do when I, when I cut him loose, is he focused? Is it game on, you know, does he know where to go to find the birds? Is he a dog that just keeps coming up with birds or is he a dog that's just stumbling into birds? Um, our foundations are built, you know, fairly early for sure by the time they're 11 months old, but I might not use it. Okay. So now we're talking about steadiness, which goes back to this foundation. <clears throat> I'm not going to worry about a young dog being steady, but if he is, you know, if he is whatever that age is, 10 months, 11 months, a year, and he's efficient and he is going to birds, therefore he knows how to hunt birds. I'm going to start to probably take a little bit of his chase um, and just, you know, just not going to be real formal. I'm not going to be real pushy, but I am going to start to probably take some chase and have him stop, you know, going with the bird. 
Um, and then probably if the backing situation will present itself, um, I'm probably going to have him be, you know, he's probably going to back 100% of the time. I'll probably hold him accountable up to that point. So to really answer the question is based on the individual. If he's getting it done and he shows to be, you know, a, a little more mature puppy and he's, he knows how to go to birds. Yeah. I might, I might start to do a little steadiness. Yeah. With ages and timelines, it's always hard to put that on stuff just because we never have all the information in this scenario, but we can still pull out uh, the concepts and, and the, the tidbits. I, I was going to ask you, the one thing he did say is this is a first year pup in, you know, it's his first hunting season. So when it comes to your dog, Sonny, if in an ideal scenario, dog is the right age and everything, are you, are you doing any formal steadiness before a first hunting season or is that kind of a, a first off season type activity? Yeah. So that, that's an awesome, you know, that's, that's kind of an awesome concept because my first season could be, it could be their second month on the ground. You know what I can, and this is, this is probably with all pros because they do it professionally, right? They're doing it every day. So what I'm going to do with a dog in 60 days might take, you know, a guy working at the office, it might take him, you know, six months. Um, so it's based on opportunity. So, you know, back to the age, the maturity level, what have they been exposed to? Um, I'm, I'm real big on a free season, uh, but that free season for me could be, it could be a young dog that had their free season in the spring. It's not about me killing a bunch of birds over that dog. It's about how efficient are they at finding wild birds. Yeah. So once they've got that, we're going to start the, uh, the training process. And, I, and I, I don't even want to call it a training process anymore because it's not, it's more of a mentoring process with, you know, here's what I expect out of you later on in life. You know, this is what I'm going to expect six months from now, but I'm going to show you, you know, I'm going to prep you now and I'm going to show you now what's going to be expected out of you later. And then the two of us come together, me and the dog, me and the animal to, uh, to work together to achieve that goal, which is going to be steadiness later on down the road. I believe if we don't get as deep into a training format, um, you know, just a real formal format, my experience has been, if we don't get into that real training mindset, we have much, much better bird finders. And I'm a, I'm a wild bird dog guy, so that's a real big deal to me. So I try to stay out of their head. You know, I'm, I want to be there to mentor, but I do, I do want them to, uh, I want them to feel comfortable enough to make a mistake. I want them to think forward. You know, go, go try some stuff. There's no big deal if we get it wrong. Yep, I, I love that, and. Uh, you know, words can mean different things to different people, but I, I kind of find myself nodding to what you're saying, because in my mind, like when, when somebody says the word training, I, my mind, I start to visualize, you know, launchers and formal setups and, and the things that you're talking about. And I've come to refer to it or, or think about it as, you know, the word development gets used a lot, but that's kind of how I think about it. When you say mentor, that's what I'm thinking about. It's really giving the dog the exposure and giving the dog its head and trying to let the dog figure out things on its own, much more so than me, a guy who's training his first or second bird dog. I have no idea what I'm not going to interfere with, with these powerful genetics. You know, it's, it's really, once I learned to just kind of stay out of the dog's way and just continue to give them opportunity, that was a, that was a big, uh, kind of a breath of fresh air for me. Yeah. And our, you know, the format today, because myself and we were trying to simplify it, simplify it, simplify it to yeah. help the people better understand it. Uh, a training format for me today is nothing more than you've got to be still and you've got to go with me. 
uh, that could be on, you know, three feet next to me on a lead, or that could be five, 600 yards, you know, in, in South Texas or out on the prairie. But when I, when I'm turning, you need to be going with, um, and you need to be still. So those are really the only, that's really the only formal training that I'm doing. Um, and I don't even worry much about a recall because if they are still, and if they will naturally go with you, they're going, you're going to, they're going to recall. They're, they're going to be easy to catch. So yep. being still and going with, uh, is really all I'm focused on. Yeah. And again, that that's one of those things that it makes sense to me now having done it for quite a while, but I, you know, if somebody would have told me that before I had the, you know, your biggest fear when you get your first pointing dog is I'm going to take this thing into the woods and I'll never see it again, <laughs> but that's not Absol- quite how absolutely. it works, right? <laughs> <laughs> yep. So back, back to that puppy development, if those puppies get opportunity when they're babies, you know, if, if they go with that a puppy, they're going to go with the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. So that's a fact. I mean, and a lot of our young dogs are missing those opportunities today. They've not had opportunities to run based on where we live and places that we don't have to go like what we had yesterday. So I do work with, a, you know, a handful, a pretty big handful, more than I would like to have to admit, <laughs> of maybe, you know, eight, nine, ten-month-old puppies that haven't been cut loose. And now, now that fear is there. Yeah. Um, boy, am I going to, you know, am I going to be able to catch him once I let him go? Yeah. Yeah. And to further that point, really, it just for, for folks listening, the, the idea of bringing a, a very young pup into the woods is it's different concept than a dog that's much more physically mature. Like you're saying at eight or nine months when they're, when they're that young, they can't really get that far away from you. So it's a lot easier to sort of pave that path when they are very young and less mobile. And then by the time they are eight and nine months old, you've already got a pretty strong connection with the dog, right? Absolutely. Yep. That's 100% right on. All right. So next question, uh, you kind of hit on something in this regard earlier, non-game birds, backyard exposure, like, you know, robins, chipmunks, et cetera. How should we handle that? Should anything be encouraged or discouraged in non-hunting scenarios? So we're out exercising the dog or it's in the backyard pointing a robin. What do we think about anything to be concerned about or do? Um, yes. Uh, you know, that, that concerns me. So then it just goes back to balance. If the dog is spending too much time in the backyard pointing robins, uh, that's what we're going to end up with, you know, later on down the road. So there needs to be balance. So I got nothing wrong with that dog in the backyard chasing the squirrel, um, but then it needs that same amount of reps or those same amount of opportunities to get, you know, if it's going to be a grouse dog to get out in the woods and, uh, and be able to maneuver and try to find birds. Um, or even here in our training field, you know, where right now it's middle of summer or uh, start of summer, we can't be in the woods. We can't be out on the prairie. So our young dogs, you know, probably, I'm going to say two to three times a week, we're doing bird work with them so that we're, we're keeping things in balance. We're maintaining their desire to want to use their nose and hunt and not just chase, you know, kill deer around their, their airing area. So it's, it's, it's all about the balance. Just watch the animal. And, uh, if, if you're concerned that there's a problem, there's a pretty good chance there's a problem. So just try to keep that balanced out and, uh, find somebody to help you. I mean, that's, that's just, find somebody that can do that can help you do a good bird introduction you know at that young age yeah perfect segue to the next question how and when to first introduce dogs to birds uh, there's a little next part but go ahead with that yeah so i'm uh, i'm a firm believer in uh, you know somewhere before that 20 weeks of age uh, my experience has been um they're pretty dependent on us they're, there's a lot that they're looking for us uh, for instruction early on but it, in my opinion, 
right around that 20 weeks. And then after that 20 weeks of age, they seem, my experience has been that's when they start to work on their independence. So now they're, they're, they're on a mission of their own. And I encourage that. So, um, I like to see those bird introductions done before 20 weeks of age. Uh, if they miss it, it's not the end of the world by no means, but right. in, you know, in a perfect world before 20 weeks of age. And then honestly, um, we're, I'm doing bird work with, uh, if we're raising puppies here, you know, they're six, seven weeks old. We're, we're doing bird introductions. They're seeing, seeing birds. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm, I've got a bag of birds. We're, we're going for a walk and I'm, uh, you know, I'm dropping birds. I'm showing them birds. I'm letting them get, you know, slapped up by a bird a little bit. So, at, you know, later on in life, they don't end up with a fear from a big rooster pheasant because it spurred them. You know, I'm, I'm trying to show them all the things that they're going to be exposed to later on down the road. So the first thing that's going to get turned on is their eyes. Uh, you know, the old wing on a string, everybody does it. But uh, as soon as we get that, I want to get off that pretty fast and I want to get their nose turned on. So I don't let them see a ton of birds. Uh, as soon as they're into it, it's game on to start to turn on your nose so that we don't end up with a bunch of visual problems. Sure. Yep. Um, I, I, rec- I wrote this down. You, when you talked, w- the question about steadiness, you mentioned you maybe were going to, if you if you felt the dog's maturity level was right and you were seeing what you wanted to see, you would maybe begin to take some chase out of the dog. And I wondered how, I wanted to ask how you do that without it being, you know, I am, I'm assuming you're not yelling, whoa, at the dog, maybe you are, but how do you begin to take chase out of a dog that is, is showing you the signs it's ready? Um, so the signs that they're ready is when they're efficient on their bird. They, they know where to go to find the birds. Um, so that's, that's what I'm looking for to start to steady them. But way before that, their, their steadiness or their being still, because that's all steadiness is, or taking their chase is just to stop moving. Mm -hmm. That's all done back in the yard. And I, me personally, I do not use a verbal woe. And I say that just because I've never really had a whole lot of use for it. Most of my dogs are probably far enough ahead of me to where they're not going to hear me if I yell, whoa. So I don't, me, I don't have a lot of use for a verbal whoa. Um, Once their chase is taken, which is nothing more than if a bird flies, if they engage in chase, we teach them to stop. Um, Once their chase is taken, they're probably as steady as they're ever going to be. So um, and that goes back to the yard and on the coursework to just start to build points of contact where they know, you know, they know when to stop based on the coursework for starters. And then from there, we transfer over to an electric collar. Okay. Got it. All right. Next question under, this is kind of a different one, but under what conditions should I be running my dog with a vest or a skid plate? And I guess the question would be, do you, do you use that on your dogs at all, Sonny? <laughs> this, I'm probably going to get some hate mail for this, but uh, I don't. Yeah, this is a, I, no, I don't, you know, I, um, now there, there's obviously there's scenarios and there's circumstances where they need it, you know, females coming off whelping a litter of puppies, but, uh, you know, I like to condition them to where, for example, uh, their feet will toughen up to the point where they don't need anything because when I do have to boot them, you know, they don't have the same traction with the boot that they would have had without the boot. Mm-hmm. And then I'm always concerned about injury, you know, because they're not on their natural foot. Um, are they going to slip? An injury for me is a real big deal because I do it for a living. And uh, when one's on the injured reserve list, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in trouble. I just, I don't do it for, um, for pleasure. You know, we're doing it because it's our income. So when I get one that's hurt, it's a real problem. Um, so I, I try to steer clear of all of that stuff if I can. 
Um, but I do understand that there's times that it's needed to be used. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, we've all heard the horror stories and, and I, yeah, I understand why somebody would, would have their dog wear one. And I, I don't have much comment on that other than I don't run them on my dogs either. I think about the potential risks that could happen, but anytime you cut a bird dog loose, there, there are risks and there's, there's risk. You know, it's a, it's, it would be like running a, I've, I've guided a lot of hunts with when uh, we come up on a fence and I've got, you know, I've got people I'm guiding for grabbing up their dogs because we need to get away from the fence. Um, I personally do a lot with our young dogs, uh, baby puppies, letting them learn how to maneuver in and out of barbed wire so that when they do get older, they're confronted by it. They know how to maneuver through it. And uh, that works. Um, I have, I bet you it's been 25 years since I've had a dog get cut by wire, but we're exposing all the puppies to that early on. Yeah. All right. How soon do you get your pups out socializing after bringing them home? And what might that entail? Um, so we're trying to do stuff almost instantly. And then the, the socializing uh, that I do, it's not necessarily about, you know, taking them to the ball game and having everybody at the ball game scratch their belly yeah. and tell them how cute they are. Um, for me, uh, this, the socializing for us is all about on the truck, off the truck. Let's go for a ride. Um, <clears throat> setting them up in scenarios, you know, getting across the concrete floor in, in this kennel out of that kennel. Uh, we might have a, an elevated kennel where they're going to spend some time in there and then they're out of there on a, on a different kennel. To me, that's their, that is their real, that's the socializing, exposing them to things that's going to cause them stress, might cause them a little fear and then mentor them and help them to, to overcome it. Uh, none of it's a big deal. And that's what we're trying to promote. There's none of this stuff that's a big deal. Um, we do a lot of walking for, for their social outings. Uh, we do a lot of gang running with puppies the same age so that they can be social with one another. Um, and then when, when we do take them out and about in public, um, I personally, and this is probably not going to be well received, but I don't necessarily need the public uh, wanting you know to get their hands and, and kiss and hug my puppy. I would just assume my puppy hang with me. And we just go about life so that I can present, you know, what I expect out of you later in life. And it's, it's no need to get overly excited. Just, just enjoy the day. Let's go for a walk. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. I mean, obviously, you know, folks come at it with different ideas and, and what they want to do, but I do think it's fairly common for uh, a new, new bird dog owner, new dog owner in general, it doesn't have to be a bird. You think, you know, you hear that. That's just one of those things that you hear, you know, bring your dog to, to this place and let a bunch of people come and crowd it. And, and I, you know, I just appreciate hearing your perspective that that's not necessarily a, of a concern to you. It's not uh, not a priority for you. No, nope, not at all. I'm what, what I'm trying to accomplish is by, by uh, obviously, you know, there's a pecking order there. I'm going to hopefully be the leader. I'm going to be fair and efficient, fair and efficient are real big words for me. So I want to be fair and I want to be efficient. So when I do have this puppy out in public and everybody and their brother wants to kiss and hug it, I'm trying to give them something to follow. So, you know, to ignore that, it's, it's not a big deal. Let's just move through it and uh, maintain your composure and let's go about our day. You know, that they're going to be confronted with, uh, you know, just all kinds of stuff, you know, porcupine, deer, hogs. There's just, there's tons of things that, that they're going to have to deal with later on in life. So right off the get go, I'm, I'm trying to present to them that, uh, you know, that a human very well, very well could be kind of off game, if you will, a little bit. If, if I'm not going to show a bunch of attention to it, you don't neither. So let's just move on. 
Yeah. And to a point you made earlier, you're, you're a, a higher priority. What I'm gathering is you would be more, you'd be prioritizing going into a real world environment. You know, if the time of year is correct and you can get your dog into the grouse woods or somewhere where you're planning to have this dog spend a lot of time, that would be more important to you than taking it to Home Depot. Yes, absolutely. And then, you know, so that it's not taken out of context. Don't think that I'm not the guy that's not, you know, hugging on a puppy or kissing right, on a right. puppy or doesn't enjoy puppy because I do, but I do understand what's going to be best for them. You know, it's, it's really about putting the animal first and trying to do the best for them. Yeah. What, one of the other things that I, I imagine you're maybe more prepared or better set up to handle is getting a young pup around a lot of other dogs, you know, for, for somebody like me, you bring it home and maybe you don't even have another dog. Any recommendations you would give for somebody that, or at least thinks that they should get their young puppy around other dogs to help that sort of pack behavior and getting along with, with other groups of dogs. How do you address that? Yeah. So here we got the, each morning we have a, a social hour. Um, there's a fenced in area where the, ma- the majority of the dogs are all together. Um, as long as they don't have issues, you know, we don't have aggression issues. Uh, they're all together. Um, we, our work day goes through and then every evening they're kind of all together again, but obviously real world stuff. Nobody has fenced in areas where they can let 20 dogs be social with one another. Right. So the best advice I have is you're, you're the dog, um, the human that's within that home, your kids, your wife, you're their, you're their, their, you know, fellow dog. You're the, you're part of their pack. Mm-hmm. So then it's try to interact with them like dogs interact with dogs. That's, that's social for them. So, you know, things like them invading your space, uh, them jumping on you, you know, try to think like the dog and then react like the dog, which most of that stuff in the dog world is not acceptable. You'll be disciplined for that. Sure. Yep. Got it. All right. Do bonds between bird dog and handler form naturally? Is there anything we need to do to sort of solidify that bond? Um, this, I'll probably get some hate mail for this too, but my experience has been, if you're fair and efficient, the dog will bond with almost anybody. So we, we see it a lot when people drop off dogs, you know, the, the human is very close to crying and the dog is shaking, but 90% of the time, as soon as they drive out of here, that dog just, it just, it's instincts kick in to adapt. Um, so another example would be whether it be, it could be Jordan's dogs or my dogs or George's dogs or Travis's dogs. They're all, they all understand the same format. They all understand the same foundation. So the bond, uh, will happen almost instantly or the pecking order, because that's really what that is. Um, you know, if I was to grab one of their dogs or they were to grab one of my dogs, it can speak the same language, which is the dog language. Um, they're going to bond to me extremely fast. Um, because I'm going to be fair, I'm going to be efficient, and I'm going to be a good leader to them. So, uh, to me, that's what the bond really is. Yeah, I would, and I would just chime in from what I saw. There, there was. It's definitely natural. You know, you spend enough time with these dogs, and and I'm they're going everywhere with me, and I'm the one taking them into the woods. I I wouldn't be if I were a new pup owner. I wouldn't be overly concerned about establishing a bond because I think you're you're going to quickly realize that pup is going to be following you wherever you go and going to realize that you're the you're the fun guy if you're if you're fair and efficient like you said, Sonny. Yeah, and we've I've got dogs that I haven't seen. Well, I have a lot of dogs on my guide string that I don't see. You know, I see once a or I see them in the winter time when I use them for guiding. So I don't see them the rest of the season. Um, they pick up they pick up with me right where we left off the season before. Yeah. Um, I've had dogs that I've not seen for five or six or seven years 
um, when they come back to the kennel, we just pick up where we left off. That same bond or that same relationship is there. So, I, you know, I, I, I'll be honest. I think people overthink that stuff. It's a, it's more of a human thing than it is a dog thing. Yeah. Yep. I've, I've been there, done that. I, I am, uh, I am in, naturally inclined to overthink things. So I get it. Sure. Uh, <laughs> how young is too young to start hunting? You know, we've, uh, I'll just, I'll look back at some of my younger years. There's been, there's been plenty of times that I've, that I've carried a, a backpack and when my puppies are, are wore down, I'll, I'll backpack them with me, you know, as the other dogs are, uh, as the other dogs are hunting. So for me, I don't know that there really is a time that's too young. I just, I wouldn't, I personally don't want to wear them down to where they're, mm-hmm. they see the experience as something that's wore them out. So I like to pick them up when they're still wanting more, you know, right down to our puppy walks. When we're walking puppies, we don't wear them out. We, we, we get them picked up and back in before they, before they wear down. So I, I don't know that there necessarily really isn't a set age. Um, as long as they're not getting overwhelmed by, you know, by the cover and the terrain, I think it's good to have them out there as soon as we can. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that's a common question. And I think a lot of time, you know, people are sometimes they're and not specifically this person that was asking, but sometimes people are asking, you know, do I, do I go on a hunting trip with my friends? Do I leave my puppy at home? That sort of thing. And I, I think from talking to you for a little bit, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I would gather that you would be encouraging to, you know, you need to be mindful of how old and mature that dog is, and you need to maybe change what you consider hunting, but any kind of exposure and opportunity you can give the pup is going to be a good thing as long as it's within reason. Absolutely. We, yeah, we've, um, I've encouraged everybody with those young dogs to, when they do go on those trips to take those puppies with, and this will be based on their age. You can't, you know, you might not get away with it with a 10 week old puppy, but to have them be on the truck, mm-hmm. um, have them conditioned to eat, you know, when the food is put down, you know, drink water, empty out all that stuff is part of the experience. So they might not be on the field with you, you know, all day long, but they're in the game with you. They're on the truck with you. They're in a motel with you. They're being taken care of off the truck. So they get conditioned to deal with life on the road um, because we've all been there with, uh, you know, you take that house dog that is accustomed to eating when it wants to eat and you go on the road and now you can't get it to eat. Well, into day two and day three, there's just not much left of that dog. So, yeah. All right. Next one. This is, I'm going to kind of combine two because they're both very similar. What skills, traits must be learned in the first year? What are your expectations for a first first year dog go with and be still go with and be still yes sir it'll it's pretty much everything will always come back to that if uh if there's anybody calling with a problem the the first thing out of my mouth is going to be can you get him still you know is he's can you get his mind switched over to want to be open for instruction does he have a learning mindset so that that first season those first few months that first year everything is going to come back to being still and going with me if you've got those two things there's not a, there's just not a ton more to worry about. Okay. And then, oh, do you have something else? No. And I was just going to, you know, just add to that. And that's, that's especially with those first, those first year dogs. Um, if you can get them still and you can get them going with you, you've, you've won the battle. There's not a, there's not a ton more that needs to happen. Got it. All right. And then this is somewhat of a continuation of that. And you did comment about this earlier. The person that asked says, I always hear, let them be a puppy the first year. What exactly does that mean? What rules do they have in the field? What expectations should I have? So it's, it's pretty similar to those other ones, but um, the let them be a puppy thing in the first year. 
absolutely. Let them be a puppy that first year. Um, but then keep in mind, you know, what, what is that puppy? What's your, what's your vision of what that puppy is? That puppy still needs to be a good citizen. There still has to be some boundaries. There still has to be some rules just like our children. Yeah. Let that kid be a kid. Well, what does that really mean? You know, he can't, he, you know, he can't walk around the house punching holes in your drywall with a hammer. You know, there has to be some rules. So that puppy falls underneath that same kind of guideline. Just, you need to be a good citizen, you know? Yeah. I, I think the trap of that quest, it's a good, like when people say that, it's almost to sort of get the uh, overambitious amateur handler to sort of back off. You know, don't, you don't need to interfere and get in this dog's head. But the, the caveat to that is when we say that it doesn't mean that we're not paying attention to anything and we're giving up all this. There's still plenty of opportunity for development and mentoring in that first year, but you just don't need to get too involved with it. Absolutely. And then you don't want to go to the other side of that spectrum and then have too much of obedience, you know, too much of a sit, stay, come heal program done. Um, because then, you know, then you've got the opposite end of now you've got this poor pup that doesn't want to do anything because he's, he's overly obedient. So one of the, you know, some of the worst calls that I do get when I'm, when we are consulting with the people is, oh yeah, he's, you know, he's doing really good. You know, he'll, he'll sit, stay, come heal for, you know, hours on end, you know, and then that's that, then I have to try to break that cycle and get that puppy to kind of, you know, think more, a little more like an outlaw. Um, it's okay to want to run off. It's okay to go chase that bird. You know, they, they need to think forward. So back to balance, that all has to be balanced out. Give them, you know, give them the respect they deserve. I, I think is something I use a lot. If mm. they're, you know, give them the respect they deserve. If they're, if they're living within your expectations, you know, show them some appreciation. If they need to be disciplined, then discipline them. Yeah. Just, just make, make sure that there's no anger involved and it's not, a, it's not a personal thing. It's just an is, it's an is thing. Got it. All right. Should I run my young dog with other dogs in the grouse woods? I've heard about 50, 50, yes or no on this one. You are who you hang with. <laughs> so, you know, it depends on your buddy's dogs, but I gain, I run dogs together a lot. Typically what it looks like for us is I'll pair up, I'll, uh, I'll gang run, you know, maybe three, four puppies with a broke dog, an older dog that is proven, that is a natural bird finder, um, that I can trust. And then I will, <clears throat> I will run those puppies with those dogs because they're, they're going to take them to birds. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, they are going to learn a bunch from them, you know, just from the opportunity. So I use older dogs or gang running dogs together to make opportunity, but I'm not going to have my puppies run with, you know, a bunch of, uh, a bunch of renegade outlaws. So you, you are who you hang with. Sure. Yeah. Start, that, starting with that end in mind again. Yeah. That's an interesting take on it. And if somebody were running their dog with, with another dog, anything you'd be watching out for, like if the pup is paying too much attention to older dog or anything you would be watching out for, I guess. Yeah. So the the first thing that I'm going to watch for is if the dog that I'm running it with is not experienced enough to where that young dog is going to be disrespecting, you know, not backing Mm. or just doing a lot of tagging, you know, just a lot of undesirable behavior, things that just aren't acceptable. So I'm going to pay attention to that. Um, But, you know, probably more than anything, it's to give opportunity. So if you are going to be, you know, a habitual tagger for the first 20 minutes, well then let's, let's, let you have that experience and get that out of your system. Um, So, you know, kind of back to that opportunity. So I'm not, I'm not overly concerned about stuff. Um, 
but yeah, I'm aware. You know, I'm not going to put him out with a dog that if they do go and sniff him, you know, he's going to pound him into the ground because that can make a bad experience. Right. But just kind of, you know, brace them up or pair them up with a, to where they can help one another, to where that the older dog can show that puppy something, you know, that might give them an opportunity to back or, you know, get in and chase a bird, punch a bird, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And ultimately, you're looking for, you, you want your dog to be bold, confident, and independent, you know, hunting, hunting on its own. Um, so you're, you're looking for that as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, it might be the South Dakota trip where we've got five guys together and, uh, the old traditional South Dakota, let's drive this, you know, this slough or this cornfield. Mm-hmm. Um, when I do have my young dogs in that situation, when the group goes one way, I literally will go the other way with my dog. I don't, I personally won't put my dog in those situations, those young dogs, I would, I would rather walk, you know, an hour and a half, two hours and maybe have one find than get to the end of the, the slough or the cornfield and have, you know, a hundred birds fly and have nothing but chaos for those young dogs. I'm not, uh, I'm not a big promoter of putting those young dogs in those situations. Yeah. Got it. All right. Uh, last one here. What are, this is a little different one, but what are some questions to ask a breeder when looking for your first pup? So if somebody was asking you that, what might, what advice might you give them? Yeah. Uh, what I ask breeders when I'm looking for pups is what don't you like about this cross? Mm. That's, that's to me, that's, that's the, that's the magical question. One of two things are going to happen. They're going to tell you, you know, there's nothing that I don't like about this cross. This is the best litter of puppies I've ever, I've ever bred. Me personally, I'm going to probably run for cover. Um, but if that breeder will tell me that there's this, this, and this, that he's trying to improve upon, I'm in. You're like, listening. I'm, yeah. Um, yeah, you better believe it. I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to walk out of there with a puppy when, when they're trying to improve on something, because there is no such thing as that, you know, there's no such thing as the perfect puppy. Um, all the breeders should be striving to try to, to try to make it better, um, with whatever their focus is. So then that's the other thing with picking puppies is you got to be careful, especially in the versatile breeds, um, that the, that the dog is bred for the purpose that you're going to be trying to fulfill. Um, if it's going to be an upland application, you know, you don't necessarily need a really good tracking dog. Of course, now you might be hunting pheasants, so then the tracking dog comes into play, but be aware of, you know, what, what, what are they striving for? Yeah. Again, a common, common theme throughout this conversation, starting with the end in mind, what, what kind of, what are you looking to do with that dog? And then, and then look for breeders that are, that at least appear to be doing similar things with their dogs. Absolutely. And then I do, I trust, uh, and I know this won't go over well, but I do trust breeders to pick my puppies. They're mm. the ones that are spending the most amount of time with them. So, you know, when, when I go to pick up puppies, I the, I'm asking them, you know, you know what I'm after, you know, I've had a puppy reserved for quite some time, which puppy would you recommend that I take? And then 90% of the time, the, the puppy that they pick up is the one I leave with. Yeah. Cool. All right, Sonny. Well, we covered some ground, gave people some things to to think about. It's that time of year. You know, we're a couple months away here and we'll be our favorite time of year again. But uh, to bring this full circle and and sort of put a put a bookmark on the method dog training, I've got the methoddogtraining.com. There's a website. I'll, of course, link that up in the show notes. That would be the best place for folks to go to learn a little bit more about it. Any uh, I know you guys did a seminar recently and some others are in the works. Uh, is there anything official that you could share here or just do folks keep an eye on the website and, and keep an eye out for upcoming seminars? Um, the, there's 
and I have shame on me for not writing down the dates, but there is going to be an event that is that is in the works that's posted in the cities. Actually, I got it here. It looks like Waconia, Minnesota, July 29th. That's is that the one you're referring to? Absolutely. You bailed me out. Thank you. So, yeah, that that's a, that's a done deal. And then there's going to be one um, over around George's place, um, the Sioux Falls area. That's in stone. That's done. And then there's going to be one out uh, on the East Coast by Jordan. Yeah. Is that the, the so Hendricks, Minnesota, August 5th? Yes. That's the one out That's by in George. Stone. Okay, yep. And then the, the Connecticut is to be determined at this point. But again, the method dogtraining.com, folks can keep an eye on that. Yes, sir. All right, Sonny. Well, hey, I really appreciate your time today. I hope folks got some exposure to the method and learned a little bit more about what you guys are doing. And, and we'll probably be at some point talking to George and or Jordan here on the Birdshot Podcast. So if folks are curious and have other questions, they should definitely send those to me. But I will uh, I will leave it at that and just say thank you again for taking some time to talk to me and the listeners on the Birdshot Podcast today, Sonny. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. All right, hang on with me for one second. That does it for this episode of the Bird Chat Podcast. We'll catch everybody on the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Bird Shot Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. And if you really love the show and want to contribute above and beyond what you already do by listening, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Bird Shot Podcast. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.